The title of tonight's message, you know what it is, Anointed Nation. Say Anointed Nation after us. Anointed Nation. Listen, it's been a while since I've been up here, but can I tell you what a, a privilege it is to be with these men of God, to be with Caleb Brown and Justin Linton? See, tonight we're very excited to share with you guys. We personally have been engaging over this last three weeks and been enlightened and inspired by the three-part series that we've been engaging with. What is a man? What is a family? And what is a nation? And can we tell you guys that as heads of households, we've been personally wrestling like Jacob wrestling with the angel of God in the book of Genesis, examining our walk with our king, examining our families, making sure that we're right in step with the spirit of God, examining the relationships all around us so that we can fully image the character of our father. See, church, we're working at this here and now. We also wanted to say, take a look at this slide. From the past, from this past Sunday, giving a recap to refresh our memory on the three-part series we've been having. What is a man? A man is to bear the full image of God in all his complexity. What's a family? A family is named by God and must bear the full image of God together. What is a nation? A nation is a chosen priesthood who belongs to God and bears the full image of God's holy and royal character. So what is a man? We learn that a man is empowered to say no. A man is empowered to say no to what God says no to. And it starts with himself. No, I will not. But it's also a man is empowered to say yes. He's empowered to say yes to the right actions to reflect God's character in everything that he does. He's able to say yes. We were also convicted by the reality of our tendency to want to focus on the character traits of God that we like and ignore the ones we don't like so much. Thereby, we ended up reflecting only the parts of God's character we prefer. This brought us face to face with our own idolatry. We have to reflect God's full image, not just a little piece, not the part that we get really excited about, not the part that is most palpable to the crowds, but the parts, all of them, all of God, we're going to reflect him. Amen. What's a family? This means that the success of our family is a direct tie and reflection of our success in leading our homes. Do you guys remember this? Look, I can't be holy if my family isn't holy. But if I'm holy, my family will be holy. Amen. If our family is not successful, then we're not successful. But if our family is thriving, godly, and bearing fruit, then it shows we are bearing the full image of God. And what's a nation? We learn that a nation has nothing to do with the color of our skin. Where we're from on the map, but rather the reflection of God's holy and royal image displayed in his people as his chosen and royal priesthood. Have y'all been transformed as you've been personally engaging with these topics? 
have some things changed in the way that the, the structure of your home, in, in, in the, the efficiency of the flow of Shalom, has it? Is it bearing fruit? I know it is because you are the nation of priests. Now, admittedly, what we've began to talk about, what we've began to wrestle with, I mean, think back to the names of God. Think back to each one of those names, and it wasn't all of the names of God. It was 16, from what I remember. Church, we've only begun to really wrestle with these things, engage with them, and have that transfer not just to our minds and knowing what it says, but having it in our lives in a way that we act, we behave like El Shaddai, right? We behave like Yahweh Sabaoth. We've only begun. These things have been introduced. And it's challenged us, has it not? It's good it's, it's challenged you. You're set apart. You're not to be like the world is. You are set apart as a nation of priests, a holy nation. You will minister all over the world. Your children will minister all over the world. And when people look at you, when they look at your family, and when they look at the body of Christ as a whole, they see him. Amen? Amen. It's not just possible to be, become like our father. He created us to reflect his image. Amen. It's not just possible. Like, oh, yeah, I'm working at it. I'm striving at it. I'm, 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 I'm trying to. No, he created us to reflect his image as it is Amen. without any deviation, without any addition. We, as the body of Christ, must be zealous for his name. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. We must be jealous to reflect his name, his image everywhere that we go. But in order to do that, in order to do that, we got to wrestle. Bill mentioned uh, Jacob. Jacob had to wrestle to become more like God. And we're going to wrestle as we get into the the lion's share of our word tonight. We're going to talk about the things that get in the way of the works that God has created us to do. So let's put up that slot. I got the mic, so I'm going to say it the way I want to say it. Docetism. Views Jesus as something separate from us. He can do more than us because he is God. So we don't even, we don't even have to try. Cease striving, brother. Jesus is on the throne. He's going to do everything. That's docetism. Just like I said it. Montanism. Sets a distinction between a single leader as a man of God who can do great things. Uh, and the rest of us, you know, well... We'll leave it to him to do great things. Yeah. Right? We don't, we don't match up. Well, we don't match up. No, no. We see it as impossible to be exi- an exact replica, an exact copy of the leaders that God has put before us. Amen? No. No amen. Erogenism. <laughs> Erogenism says everyone will be saved. There's no hell. So there is no need for us to work, to strive to hold up the, char- the character and the standard of God's word. There's no, read to, no, there's no need to stick to what the text says. We can bend it a little bit, adjust it a little bit, so that we get, so more people can come in and feel the love of Christ. Amen? No amen. <laughs> As we worked to understand these corruptions and how they show up in our lives, because make no mistake, they definitely do. And the pastors helped us with that. We realized that these three and every other corruption of God's image that they didn't have time to go through can be summed up in this. As we engage with this in our hearts, what are we actually saying when we behave like this? 
This is what we're saying. All of these patterns of thought basically are aimed at perpetuating the demonic lie that a pursuit of God's character cannot be attained in the way that he has set forth. It cannot be done in the way that he has set forth. Therefore, we have to adjust it slightly so that we all can, you know, make it right. No. So the way must be adjusted, lightened, slackened for us to attain any means of success in being godly. Said more plainly, God cannot be known and properly imaged by me and my family in a way that transforms us and the peoples around us. So we have to adjust the righteous standard so that God can meet it. This is not a, 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 a new lie. This is an old lie. This is a lie that's been from the beginning. This started with the service saying, did, did God really say? I mean, did he really mean what he said? Did he really make you in his image already? Or do you need, you know, a little bit of more wisdom so you can be more like God? This is an old lie. Turn with us to Malachi 1. Pick it up in verse 12. As you were turning there, say anointed nation. We'll get to see how these isms have been a problem for a very long time. Look at Malachi chapter 1. We're going to read in verse 12. It says this in the NIV. But you profane it by saying of the Lord's table, it is defiled, and of its food, it is contemptible. And you say, what a burden, and you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. When you bring injured, crippled, and diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord? Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. CLCM, these priests here in Malachi 1, the Lord was uh, correcting them, but where they initially started is they were set apart to show God's glory, majesty, his awesome wisdom to the nations of the world. But what we're reading here in Malachi 1 is, He's actually correct, correcting them because they found it too difficult to accept the things that God actually wanted. And, desi and rather, they offered him something that he did not ask for. Did you guys catch that? They're bringing injured, crippled, diseased animals. Things that their governor of their day would not even accept from their hands. See, LCM, you may not have realized that these three isms are, are working in our lives in so many different ways. But as we engage with these things, as Caleb, Linton, and myself were studying and engaging with this, we can definitely see patterns of faithless thinking like we're seeing here that God is trying to correct in the priesthood. See, we don't get to just get our arms around all, let me say it this way, saying things like we can't really fully image the character of God. It's just too difficult. When I get, when I have, when the Lord is moving upon me to say something that is difficult to say, Lord, can I just soften the blow? Can I just say it a, a little differently? I mean, we're really at work here. It's an office. Do you want me to say it in this way? These are things that war against the seed and the priesthood that we're called to be. See, we have to honestly wrestle and engage that he was here before us. Read Genesis 1. Tohum vavohu was what was there when, when he shows up. And he transformed it and made it beautiful. And so in the same way, we don't get to re-image God as we see fit. 
We have to take the correction that we're seeing here in Malachi 1 and actually offer right sacrifices to our king. See, as we're engaging with this, we're going to put up a slide here in a second. But from Sunday, what is a nation? The one thing that gripped all of us that you can, we could even hear amongst our brothers in the 12 was what we saw in, in regards to what God's nation who was ordained and set apart for him and what they were actually exporting. So let's put up this slide and let's check it out. What his nation is exporting. We determine the blessing. Say blessing. blessing. Or curse. Say curse, curse. Of the people around us based on how they treat God's body on earth. Imaging our king in a more perfect way as his kingdom of priests. A holy nation and ambassadors of that kingdom. LCM, isn't that weighty? So how many people like to eat in this room? Raise your hands. That should be to everybody. If you don't like to eat, then you're not alive. We like to eat. There's various places we like to visit as far as restaurants, right? Have you ever had a really, really, really bad encounter at a restaurant? I mean, with a waitress or a waiter, right? So much so that you never went back to that restaurant. Like, you're just like, I, this, it's not worth it. I, I understand that this person... Um, is not the end-all, be-all of the restaurant's image, but just from this bad experience, I'm never going back. If that's a restaurant, and you've never been back because of a bad uh, taste in your mouth, so to speak, how much more when we're called to be God's nation, his priesthood, and we, and we are to rightly image God's, rightly image him to people, and yes, he's going to judge them for their own sinful behavior, but if they come across us, and, you know, I got in a fight with my wife. You know, my car didn't start and I had to get a tow. And, and when I engage somebody and I'm supposed to be the representation of Christ. But what I give them is a hard, hard, half-hearted effort in my image of God. What does that do for that person? It causes them to say, you know what? That's why I never go to church. Because of somebody like that. See, Elson, these are things that we have to wrestle with. We were, we were wrestling and repenting over these things. See, across the board, LCM, we've already said that this slide has been a topic of conversation. And when we think about wrestling with these things, think about what we've been going through in the book of foundations, right? In, in, in foundation study with the book of Acts. We've come to see these things that, that war against us, these barrier of entries, these things that seek to rob the image of God that's at work inside of us. And we see these things as anchors. Do you guys remember some of those anchors that we walked through? Yep. The anchors of, of fear of failure. Or making a mistake, the anchors of self-preservation, the anchors of entitlement, the anchors of future endeavors and what our calling should look like. These are things that, that mar the image of God. These are things that are in and of themselves those isms. We may not go around say, saying those things, but we, we live in those ways. See, LCM, as we wrestle with these things, we're going to make a turn. But every man, every woman, every family is called to fully image God in all that he is. He put his seed inside of you. He saved you and he's giving you his character. Just like JJ said, he made man in his image to have dominion over all the earth. We're going to cast off these anchors. In Hebrews 12, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders. Have you been throwing off everything that's been hindering you? 
Have you been doing that this week? Have you been wrestling with what has been stopping you? It's become real in your life, and you're saying, this, this will not stand anymore. That's what we're doing as a body. We are casting these things off. We're throwing everything off that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles so that we're going to run with perseverance the race marked out for us. It's not enough just to throw it off. It's not enough just to cut anchors. We have a direction that we're headed. We have a city that we're called to. And it's a heavenly city that we cannot see with our eyes right now. The Lord is calling us forward into his kingdom. Church, are you with us in this? Lord, God, we want to be more like you. Lord, and we know the only thing between that Where we want to be and where we are right now is us. So we're going to throw off these anchors. We're going to take off the things that weigh us down. The lies from the enemy that say this is too hard. It's too difficult. I can't. But you don't understand. We're throwing them off because the Lord has called us to. We're going to humbly repent from the things that so easily entangle us. But we're going to turn. We're going to run boldly after attaining the full measure of Christ in everything that he is. We are going to image him as a body with no one left behind. We are going to be unified in faith, in love, and in actions. Because this is what God's called us to. It's what he is doing across the body. Can you hear his voice, church? If you can hear his voice, stand up. See, we're not going to wait. We're not going to wait to the end of the service to get right with the Lord. We're not going to wait to the end of the service to see those things that are in the way of us representing all the image of God to our families, to our children, to our wives, and to the peoples around us. We're not going to wait. So right now, You, as our family, as a nation of priests, you're going to join with us. And we're going to repent. We're going to think think about whatever is in the way of you reflecting all the image of God in every situation that he brings brings you to. You got it? You thinking about it? Okay, that is what we're going to burn up before the Lord. And we're going to stand up and we're going to run and pursue after all the character of our God. Mighty God, we come before you, Lord God. Father, we say, Lord God, we have not reflect all of your image, Father. Lord God, we say we have not represented all of you to the nations around us, Father. And right now, Father, we say, Lord, we are yours and we repent of idolatry, Lord God. Lord, we repent of choosing and picking which parts of your character we want to focus on, Lord God. How we want to correct our wives. How we want to raise our children, Father. We do not belong to ourselves, Lord God. We belong to you. You have chosen us, Lord God. And you have anointed us as your nation of priests. So right now, Lord God, we lay down a pseudo-image of Christ. And we take up the full image of Christ. We put you on, our King. We say we will reflect you and we will be you on this earth in the name of Jesus we pray there you go that was y'all to call so we're gonna spend the balance of our time hearing how we are going to actually do what we have said we're gonna do because repentance isn't just saying oh I messed up right repentance isn't just saying oh I'm, I'm sorry 
or man, I, I didn't do that right. Repentance is to say, no, no, I've identified why I didn't do it, why I didn't do it right. And now I'm running headlong into doing it with all of my heart. Now that we have turned away from these misrepresentations, from idolatry, from faithlessness, now we are turning to take up the full character of Christ. Do you want to do that? Yeah. Luke 640 says, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Amen. Is it your goal? Is it your life's goal to be like Jesus? Yes. Is it, is it your, your, your life's ambition to reflect him with everything that you are? Yes. Is it your goal to do the very same things that he did and even more so? good we're in the right place yeah so turn with us to exodus 19 and we're going to learn from our older brother the nation of israel as you are turning to exodus 19 keep in mind that this is after they experience the red sea event and they are now camped at the mountain of god the lord proclaims through moses what his people will be so he took them from something and he brought them to a place where he could speak to them and tell them what lied in their future Exodus 19, verses 5 through 6. We're going to catch this one in the ESV. It says this in verse 5. Now, therefore, if you would indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Y'all keep in mind that they're standing there at Mount Sinai. It's not hard to imagine that Egypt is still fresh on their minds. I mean, they've been in slavery for a long, long time. They've been brought, up, brought out of a land of oppression. But think about what's just happening here in Exodus 19. These people have gone from being slaves to free men. How incredible is that? How amazing is that transformation? They went from being the bottom of the barrel in a society to being free men with the God of Israel leading them out. When you think about this, how can we not think about our own lives? Do you remember the day when you were set free from your captivity as a slave to sin? Oh, I remember. Man, I, I remember when we were brought from darkness into his kingdom. See, Elsim, they were called out of Egypt. They were set free from the chains of darkness. They were set free from their bondage. And you as well were set free. Yes. You were set free. And by his grace, he empowered you to say no to ungodliness. Things that you could not say no to before. Things that used to sway your mind and your emotions and your actions. But once you entered his kingdom through the blood of his son, he empowered you to say no. Amen. What's beautiful in addition to this is that the Lord was not finished with Israel. They went from being slaves to free men. But he desired even more transformation for his people. It wasn't enough for them to just be out of Egypt. Like, man, I'm glad I don't have to make bricks anymore. But now he would set them apart to do something. To say yes to something. God picked his people, he took them out of slavery, set them free, and then he declared to them that he will make them a nation of priests. Man, think about it. This is beautiful. This is not like, hey, you're going from a slave and let's just ease you back into society. No, in every society, a priest is held in high regard. 
And the Lord says, yes, I have set you free from your slavery, but not just to be free so now you can just go do whatever you want. No, no, I've set you free so that you can represent me to the highest order. Man, how extraordinary is this? He didn't just change their status or their location. He gave them a mission. He put something in their hands and said, hey, this is what I always destined for you to do. This is Genesis 12 when he looked at their forefathers and said, hey, through you, Abraham, I am going to bless the entire nation. This is him fulfilling his promise to Abraham and the patriarchs. See, the Lord not only set the nation of Israel from sin, but he's also set us free from sin. And LCM, he has given you the highest form of representing him. The highest. Which is, which is to be his priesthood upon the earth. A priesthood that is in unity and rightly reflecting the full image of God. I love that Philippians, Paul writes and said, hey, hey, when, you, when the Lord picked you, you weren't of noble stock. He didn't pick you because you were strong, because you were from royalty. No, he picked the, the things that the world despised to shame them. Elsim, this is the nation of Israel, and it's also us. And what kind of confidence should rise inside of us knowing that we were in darkness before, but now we're called his priest, his anointed priest. When, when Bim said the highest representation, like the, the highest extent to what a human being could be, that moved me in my soul. Do you realize... That in comparison to the population on this planet, you have been given the highest job title. Like you have been granted the opportunity and you've been given the tools to reflect God. The thing about the nation uh, of Israel being brought from slaves and into priests, the reason that they had to represent him is because the rest of the world was still slaves. They didn't know it. But you in this room are the highest form of God's image on the earth. Does that inspire you? The confidence, not that you should have, like you don't and you need to, the confidence that resides in God's image inside of you is something that will change the nations on that map. But what God is doing right now with, with our family, he is transforming the way that we see our own priesthood. Right. He's transforming it from a drudgery to no. I get to reflect the highest form of God's government on this earth and I am empowered to do so. As Jesus walked with his disciples, he called them out of an ordinary life. They were fishermen, tax collectors. They were common. You know what I'm tired of? Common. Come on ordinary way of life. I'm tired of the old way of life. I'm tired. I'm tired of toxic independence. I'm tired of doing things on my own where I think I'm wise on my own and I don't need anybody else's help. I'm tired of being self-centered and focused only on me. You know what? All those things are done, man. Because Jesus has called me out of an ordinary life and into the way. And the disciples, they really wanted to be like their master. You see them asking things like, how, how do you pray? How do we pray like you pray? Jesus, teach us. It, what did you mean when, when you said that in the parable? They would ask him because they wanted to be like their teacher. Isn't that the whole point of discipleship? Yes. 
The point of the discipleship is not so that one great leader can have little minions. It's so that he can re reproduce what he is in other men. That he can put his image into them just like God put his image into him. But it took more than just being called out of a way of life. We can't just say, well, I'm not going to do that anymore. How will you not do it anymore if you don't put on something else? It took more than just seeing Jesus' example. If it was just enough to be called out of a way of life and to see Jesus' example, then the cross would mean nothing. Then the Spirit would mean nothing. It's not enough. Jesus told them to wait. Because they would receive empowerment through his spirit. It, it took both the word, it took both seeing the example and receiving the spirit. Jesus promised them that they would receive the spirit to be able to do the things that their teacher had done. Not just a little bit, not just 1% of it. They could become all of who he was. And that's the same calling we're called to. We've just gone through the book of Acts in detail. We, you guys remember the tongues of fire that rested on the apostles. You guys remember how the crowds were astonished. Aren't these guys from Galilee? They're ordinary, but they don't look ordinary. We are mere men from humble origin. We, we don't have anything special about us on our own but we do have the spirit of the living god inside of us it makes us different than the world around us what we want to hone in on is that the apostles then after receiving the empowerment of the holy spirit stood up as priests in acts 2 14 but Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judah and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. He knew that what he said was worth listening to because he had received it from the Spirit. He had received a supernatural revelation and he wasn't afraid to give it. Because he was now empowered as a priest. You know what it takes to become a priest? Standing up. Come on. Taking actual steps. Moving your feet in faith. Because you've already been taken out of the old way of life. You've already been filled with the Spirit. There's nothing more that you need. The only thing that you need now is to do it. Look, the Lord is equipping us and empowering us even more that we can continue to grow in the image of who He is. Yeah. So Exodus 19, the Israelites go from, from slaves to priests. From, from literal slaves to being the highest form of God's image and representation on the earth. Paul, I mean Peter, his friends went from being fishermen and tax collectors 
to apostles of God that will judge the 12 tribes of Israel. And what was the difference? What, what, what happened in between? God filled them with his spirit. They met with him on Mount Sinai and the disciples met with him in the upper room. And fire came down from heaven and empowered them to do what he called them to do. That is your qualification. This man who was called out stepped up as a priest. And the same man that wrote that, that wrote the key scripture from Sunday. Let's get that slide. What is a nation? A nation is a chosen priesthood who belong to God and bear the full image of God's holy and royal character. These were our marching orders from Sunday. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Amen. See, before we were living ordinary lives, but he called us out. Yeah. Before we were not a people, but he made us a part of his people. And he didn't just make us a part of his people. He gave us a priesthood. He gave you a priesthood and he filled you with empowerment. He gave you what you needed to rightly reflect him on the earth. And all that's left to do now is go after it. Yeah. For lack of a better terms. Yeah. To run after reflecting all that he is. All the time. Yeah. We take up our cross daily. But you know what we also do? We put on Christ daily and we reflect his image to the world. Psalm 119 in verse 30 says, I have chosen the way of truth. I have set my heart on your laws. I want you to, to key in on that phrase. I have set my heart. I have set my heart. The response that we now have as the nation of priests, after having repented and laid down the idolatrous views of God, after having uh, uh, looked at our families and getting, getting the shalom in order, after having, having realized that and done that, our response now, when we hear the challenge to get your arms all the way around all of, all of who God is, our response is to set our hearts. So I want you to repeat that with me. I am going to set my heart. I am going to set my heart. To run after God with everything I am. To run after God with everything I am. Let's talk about how we're going to do that. I hold fast to your statutes, O oh Lord. Do not let me be put to shame. I run in the path of your commands for you have set my heart free. I'm not a slave any longer to faithlessness. I'm not a slave any longer to the, the, the lie that says God cannot be reflected properly by me and my family. I'm not a slave to that anymore. He has set my heart free. So you know what I do? I run after the character of God. We choose the way of truth. We set our hearts on his law. We are running after God's character by consuming his word. We want to be like him. So we search his word and learn about his character. But how are we going to do that? It's by examining his word like James 1.25 says. And never separating what we are reading and engaging with from the actions that are required from us. That's a big one so I'm going to repeat it. Because it is what, what actually makes the reading of our word. It's, it's what requires it to be supernatural. Because we see something about God in his word. We see, his, we see how, he, how he leads. We see how he brings shalom. We see all these things. And the requirement after we see that is to not separate, separate that from what is required of us. 
No, what I see in God's word is what I must do. And Lord, you know that that's going to have to be supernatural. I need empowerment to be like you. And he says, yes, I know. We're not going to separate from the, the things that we read and what's required of us. We are setting our hearts to honor him. Our response to the high calling of a holy priesthood must be that we set our, our hearts to honor him in the most practical of ways. We set our hearts to honor him by seeking his character through his word. When we learn about his righteous character in his word, how he establishes his order, how he, what he accepts and what he doesn't accept, we must immediately. Say immediately. Immediately. We don't got to work it out, figure out all the ways, all the details. When we see what he accepts and what he doesn't accept, we must immediately pursue righteous actions in that area. Because the priesthood is partnership with God, he will, by his spirit, empower us to follow through on this pursuit and his image will, dis- will be displayed in his fullness. Yeah. So we mentioned that in Exodus 19. They went from, from slaves to priests. But they didn't do it by themselves. They did it with one another and they did it in partnership with God. Yeah. You know what Acts says? God worked with the disciples, with the apostles to confirm his word by doing many miracles. So we're not talking about, you know, I'm just going to try really hard to do this. No, I am going to set my heart to honor him by honoring his word, by requiring of myself the very things that he is. And he's going to have to help me. And you know what? He is helping us. Turn with this to a passage that we are sure you can quote. And we're sure that we, we are sure that you will see a beautiful facet of it that you may have not seen yet. And it's fitting that Bim has this one. Matthew 6, 30. We're going to read this in the NIV. It says this. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. The point we just want to make here is, look, if pagans can run after these things and obtain them, acquire them, then how much more, LCM? How much more, saints of the living God, how much more sons and daughters of the Most High God, if we pursue his character, his kingdom, everything that he is, how much more will he not entrust and give to us the thing that we're asking for? Yeah. Nobody. Say nobody. Nobody. Nobody wants you to know more of God's character than God himself. Yeah. Not me, not Linton, not Caleb. We want, we want it for you, but nobody wants it more than God himself to reveal the full majesty of his character to you. James says, if you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. Like he's, he's not trying to withhold this character from us and say, hopefully like Waldo, you just find out. No, no, no. It doesn't work that way. He actually want, he, not he actually, he desires and he does reveal his character more and more to us. But we have to have the hunger like Moses. God is speaking to Moses and Moses said, Hey Lord, We are not going to go into the promised land if your presence does not go with us. 
That's the heart that the Lord has cultivated here. That's the heart of the men and women in this room. That we're seeking him and him alone. And we're pursuing him. Pursuing his kingdom. His righteousness. And we will receive everything that he desires for us to have. Yeah. See, from the beginning, from Genesis chapter 1, he, tell, he says, man will have dominion over everything. And then he puts the spirit in man to help him. He looks at the nation of Israel and says, hey, you are slaves, but I've made you free, and I've called you to represent me to the highest order of priests. And he gives them of his spirit. Same thing with Acts 2. It's no different for, for us. There are many things that the Lord is going to accomplish through this body here at LCM, through the one association, and he has given us of his very spirit to accomplish these things. Yeah. So we, we want to help you out real quick, make sure we, we, we're getting this. Raise your hand if in hearing uh, that you must and, and are required to reflect all of the character of God, raise your hand if that kind of made you twinge a little bit in your seats, right? It's a challenge. It should be. Like if, if it's not, then something's wrong. Not hearing it right. But this is almost like, like, a, like, a, like a scientific fact. Do the, do the people of the world run after the things of the world and get them? It just, it, it, it just is true, right? So how much more if you set your heart to run after God, to run after uh, reflecting him in all of his character, in pursuing his word and the requirements therein, how much more if the people of the world get it, will he help you and partner with you so that you reflect him in everything that he is? This is meant to secure you, church. This is, meant, this is meant to give you a, a little uh, 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 a breath of fresh air, right? If I set my heart to run after God with everything I am, he will give me everything that he is, and I will reflect him. Amen. Go with us to Luke 11, verse 9. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What are we pursuing? What are we chasing after? Because we are no longer chasing after the ordinary, the common. We don't care because we've already given our lives to him. We've given him everything. There's nothing left for us to attain except for his image in us. What are we seeking? What are we asking for? What are we knocking? What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? God, would you help me do the thing that you already told me to do? Do you understand how ridiculous that question is? Of course he will. Of course he will. How do we know? How do we know? Because he's a good father. Because he's the good shepherd. Because he knows what you need. We can trust him. 
We can trust him that he is going to meet us in our lack, in our need, and give us the power to accomplish his will. He's looking at you and he's saying, you give them something to eat. He will give you the supernatural ability to carry it out, but he's saying, you take the step. You go, you ask, you seek, you knock, and you'll find him. Man, I'm getting stirred up. Are you guys getting stirred up? Look, God himself, the creator of all things, master of the universe, the one who knows how many hairs are on everyone's head, has come in his fullness and filled you given you all of his power, all of his authority. If you just walk in it, if you just seek it, if you just ask for it, if you just knock and keep on knocking, if you just ask and keep on asking until you receive it, man, he is stirring up a hunger and a desire within his church body. I see it in your faces. I see it when you come to the altar and repent. Not because you feel bad about what you did, because you want to be his image on earth. God is doing something amazing in his church and he will. He will accomplish his will. Do you know what that means? He will accomplish his will in you. Kyle, I'm stirred up because you know what? The second we step off this stage, we get to go live it. I get to go pursue more of God's character. And you know what? I'm not doing it by myself. I'm looking at you. I'm watching Adam Core the way he leads his home. I'm watching Andrew Tisdale the way he is a standard bearer in his family. I'm watching Marlon Social rise as a pastor and the father in the faith that he's called to be. Absolutely. We're going to get to do this. That's the exciting part. We need to hurry and finish. But before we do, can I share an experience that I had this week with my family? So, the Lintons have been reading in Malachi 1 and 2. And we've been seeing and hearing the Lord's call to give our very best. To not bring the Lord blemish offerings, to bring, to bring him the acceptable ones. And I'm driving in my car trying to wrap my mind and wrap my head around how do I, how do I reflect God perfectly today? Like, how, how do I not, not uh, carry an idolatrous view? And I'm feeling the weight of that, and there's this demonic lie in the, in the back of my head that says, mm, now you can do it for a minute, but you can't pursue. Can you really pursue all of God's character? Can you really get this right? And the Lord met with me in my car. Amen. And he says, son, I long to show my sons who I am. I am waiting for you, for you to turn to me and ask me, like open your mouth and ask me so that I can feel you. It's a demonic lie that says God cannot be known. That God cannot be reflected by me. It's a, it's a, it's a lie. And what he does in that moment is that he, he brings me to this verse. In 2 Chronicles 16.9. And this, this passage was at work while I was driving in my car. And let me tell you, when you turn to do this, this passage is at work right now in this room. Amen. 
For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. We are demolishing lies in this place tonight. We are anointed priests that can and will and are reflecting God with everything that he is. You are the sons of God and he wants his sons to know him fully that they may glorify him. God has it ordained that Cody Stevens is going to glorify him by the life and the example that he shows. He is literally searching the earth to find the hearts that have been set on him. Have you set your heart towards him? Have you set your heart on him tonight? Then his eyes on you right now. He's looking at Irma saying, I'm going to strengthen Irma that she may reflect me in all my complexity, in all my beauty, in all of my righteousness, in all of my holiness. God's eye is on you tonight to transform you so that you are the perfect reflection of him on the earth. We already repented. We already said, Lord, no, we haven't done this right. So you know what the rest of this message has been? This is how we reflect you on this earth. Rise up in your boldness and call on his name. He will help you. Don't be ashamed in your pursuit of modeling all he is. And don't be ashamed of making mistakes. No. The person who sets his heart, it doesn't that he, he, might, he might stumble, but he won't fall headlong. My heart is set on pursuing God's character, so I will do that to my last breath. And you know what? He's going to help me, and he's going to help you. His eye is on you tonight, church. He is looking to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Turn with us to Acts 17. As you guys are turning there, I can't tell you how many times I've written 2 Chronicles 16, 9 as a stone, maybe preached from it, shared it with other people, but just taking the plain reading of the text. That the one who neither sleeps nor slumbers, Isaiah 40 says, have you not heard, do you not know, the everlasting God doesn't get tired or weary? That same God, I, is upon us tonight. Not in some distant future, tonight, for the sole purpose of strengthening his people. That is absolutely incredible. In Acts 17, we see what it looks like for a man to walk in this revelation of the Lord strengthening him. And it doesn't reside with just him, it actually goes outward. Look at Acts 17, verse 23. It says, Paul speaking, For as I walked around to look carefully at the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. Now what you worship as something unknown, I am going to proclaim to you. How amazing is that? What is hidden from you, what is what you, you know as unknown, I stand here as God's representative to reveal his character and his image to you. Jumping down to verse 27 says, God did this so that man will seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Church, he has been made known to us. This is, this is by far the most equipped church that I, that I know. You're, you've been given so much. And I love what my brothers were saying. Now we step out. Now we try. Now we stretch out our hands. Now we stretch out and do the things that God has put inside of us. Not in isolation, but we do it together as the anointed priest that he's called us to be. And this is how we reflect his image to the entire world. When Paul was speaking to these people in Acts 17, they came away with knowing who the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was. As a result of this man standing in his identity and rightly reflecting the character and the full majesty of his king. He is not an unknown God. 
to the people of the world, to the people in the Balkans, he may be unknown. Or they may not know him as he is because some minister has poorly reflected the image of God. But you know him. You know him and have been taught in him. Our last scripture, Malachi 1, 11. This is where we are headed as his nation of priests. My name will be great among the nations. From the rising to the setting of the sun, in every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to my name. Because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. Do you know who are the first to make his name great? The priest. The priests represent his name on the earth. God is saying to us tonight, my name will be made great among the nations and I'm using you to do it. I'm using my church to testify to my manifest wisdom on the earth and you cannot be stopped when you pursue me. Through this process of consecration and rediscovering the fullness of his character, we are being healed, right? We're being cured of our waywardness. We're being cured of our, of our idolatry. We are becoming the types of priests who do not accept blemished offerings from ourselves or our families. His spirit is helping us to see him rightly and to see ourselves rightly in his image. This will result in him being exalted and feared in the nations. This will produce what our oaths and articles state will come from a wholehearted pursuit of his character. This is from our second oath. And we're going to close with this. Having been adopted into the holy family. Stand up with us. Have you been adopted into the holy family? Yeah. Well, this is your mission. I will not rest until every nation in the world is represented before his throne. Out of Revelation 5, 9. Will not rest. Church, you have been given the heart to run, so run. You have been given the identity to run after his commands, so run after it. Go after it, and I promise you, your father will be there to help you. You can sit back down. <laughs> Saints, you can relax. It's not going to be a 15-minute mini-sermon addendum. Since I'm standing on a pulpit with a microphone, I'm going to say that was a heck of a message, but you know what I mean. We're not doing a 15-minute mini-sermon, but we are going to take a minute for a gratuitous celebration of what God has done. This guy's message is not only scripturally sound, it not only demonstrates a firm grasp of the things that we've covered in three weeks together, it's in tune with the spirit in a way that I think we can all feel. It's an interesting season for the guys at the kibbutz. We're constantly faced with the uh, consideration of how many more times we're going to sit in front of the people that not only do we love, but is the most amazing body that we've ever been in. There are a few things that I want to highlight for you from common passages that will mean different things to you now. To start with, we're going to go back to Titus 2.11 for just a moment. And we're going to read down through 15. It says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, 
waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Where we read verse 14. This passage introduced this whole series to us. In this house, we have a growing eagerness and expectation for his return. You can see it in your eyes, and these brothers highlighted it clearly. We're learning what it is to know our great God and Savior so that we can recognize him, and he recognizes us at his return. His visible image is in this room to a greater extent. 14 says, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Saints, in the prophecy during the worship service before this, anybody feel the extent to which he is moving us by his spirit into a zeal that goes beyond what we previously had? They did a good job of highlighting the extent to which it is uniquely special that we are now considered his people. Not only were you not the right nation, not only were you born with a sinful nature, but he has counted you as his people and he is purifying the lives in this room. That's reason for hope. That's reason for confidence. Rather than just preaching about things that we will say yes to zealously, we're actually taking on the zeal of God that will move you as his purified people to desire to say yes to the things that he desires. That is progress that this ministry has made in three weeks. You're not the same as you were when we began this course. Ephesians 1 is another common passage. But again, as we engage with it with what we know now, it should mean more to you. Beginning in verse 15, it says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the father of glory. Carlos is teaching our children in there. But he is the father of glory. May give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Since you've probably read that 35,000 times, but you had such a small picture of who he is, it didn't mean very much. To know him as the God who saved me, who's a shepherd, and who's also a warrior. I learned that after I came at LCM. That was the extent. Now, what Paul is saying is he is praying for the most spiritually militant and gifted church in the New Testament to have the eyes of their hearts opened increasingly to understand who he is. Saints, can I tell you that the Apostle Paul's prayer is still ringing in our ears today? We've embarked on a process that is going to make us more and more like Christ. And we will see in the next 30 years the same things we saw accomplished in the book of Acts. Ephesus was a battleground like none other in the New Testament. And the same echoes into Revelation. I know your deeds, which you have done. It continues. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule, authority, power, dominion, and 
above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. He put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Saints, we're learning what this passage really means rather than just a quaint invitation to feel warm, fuzzy feelings. We're growing in our ability to comprehend who he is and reflect it. The fullness of who he is is more alive in this body than it has ever been. And we're nowhere close to finishing where we are going to go. All of these passages are founded on Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 4.20 says that he took his people out of an iron-smelting furnace to be his own. And he revealed to him his will. Deuteronomy is commenting on Exodus 19, what the brothers talked about tonight. The idea, though, is that we progressively become more like him by following him and by being in a furnace. The way that you go from a slave to a high priest is that he puts you in situations where he must save you. And you learn to cling to him. So this evening, I'm not going to fuss I'm not going to demand that something change. I'm going to point to what will cause you to be developed. And I can see in your eyes, and I have a rising confidence in my own faith, that you will pursue this and that God will complete in you what he has begun. While these men were speaking, I began to reflect on the pastors in the one association today that came from this body. I love them to death, and they're stellar men now that I want to be like, and I hold them in the highest regard. I also remember when they were really stupid, Charlie. <laughs> when they repeated the same mistakes over and over again. When they, too, were still fighting with their wife before they walked into a service. When they lost jobs and had to learn a lesson and learn to manage a steady household in life. And that's not where they're at today. Can I tell you that I'm looking at men and women in this room that are better equipped than many of the pastors were when they came in here? You've been advantaged in every way, and your life is not over. Amen. So anytime from the pulpit you name certain names and not other names, there are people who you're either mad that you called their name or mad that you didn't highlight them and they were left out. But this is a family meeting, and you know pretty well that I don't care if it makes you angry or annoyed on either account. So some men that I believe that the Spirit of God was highlighting to me while they were preaching, and I wrote your name down. Damon, I want to tell you in front of the church and on recording, your life is not over, it's just beginning. Amen. These are the days of the iron smelting furnace, and you need to learn to read the Word, speak the Word, meditate on the Word day and night, and to pray with intimacy before your Father. Fan into flame what he has given you. Don't settle for less than he has called you to. I want to tell you, Keith Phillips, your days are just beginning. They're not behind you. Your father has put you in an iron smelting furnace, but he is making you into a priest as you do it. Read the word, speak the word, meditate on the word, and learn to pray with intimacy. I want to tell you, Nolan, I've known Nolan a long time. Nolan and I have been friends a long time. I've seen extraordinary progress in your life, Nolan. You're not the same man that you were when you came to this ministry. I tell you again, though, 
this is another river crossing for you. What is ahead of you is so supernaturally more than what you've experienced thus far. It would be like another born-again experience. He's putting you in an iron-smelting furnace. Read the word. Meditate on the word. Speak the word. And learn to pray with intimacy before your father. Fan into flame what is alive inside of you. Nick Rosales, I want to tell you, don't settle, brother. God has blessed you and brought you so far and you sit with a queen at your side. But yet again, where he's brought you up to this point pales in comparison to the leaps of faith that are going to be required of you in the days ahead. Now is the time to prepare. Ray Ludvigson, I want to tell you the same. The Lord is saying that he is going to develop you and that he is not finished with you, that the state that you're currently in has been a beginning and has been a foundation but he's going to draw you into the desert and cause you to seek him in greater levels. Where's Mandalorian? Yes, I don't call Mandy Mandy. I call her Mando, Mandalorian, because that girl is tough. Mandalorian, the Lord is saying that your life is not through. And what he is able to do with the decades that he has in store for you he is able to make so supernaturally abundant that the years of famine are forgotten. There are other young men in the room that are hearing what I'm saying. And rather than take the time to prophesy to each of you personally, listen to what I just said to the other men. Read the word. Meditate on the word. Speak the word. Learn to pray, not just working through the tabernacle, not just working through the Lord's prayer. Use the things you've been taught to pray with real intimacy and cultivate a relationship with him. 1 Timothy 4.11 says, Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. This is a room filled with men and women that are on the precipice of greater and greater levels of ministry. There are families in this room that will form pillars in the house of God. There are families in this room that you don't get to choose how long you're going to stay here. And I tell you, when I stood before you in January, I didn't know how time our short was. Use the time that God has given you well. If we can take what we did in these three weeks and spend the next three years of our lives, or better yet, next three decades, Learning to know him by seeking him in the word of God and by praying and speaking with him with intimacy. Not what do I want, not this, not that, like you're ordering food, but speaking to him as your father. This church will produce the finest Christians that the world has ever seen. And we will see our efforts multiplied supernaturally because the father is pleased with it. We've done a lot in these last few years. These next few years are going to be that much further. So as we stand, and you can stand now.
Now is the time to celebrate what God has done, to glorify him, to worship him for what he is above and beyond all else. And as we do, we're going to set a resolve that we've had a couple moments between foundations and here to celebrate where he has brought us. But now is the time that we are going to fix habits that are the way that we live. That we will spend the rest of our lifetime pursuing the image of God in a greater and greater way. And as we do that, he will continue to open the eyes of our heart and make us more like him. Father, I thank you for this family. Lord, that is so far from what the world has deemed as a church and an industrial business center. But I thank you that every person in this room knows each other and is standing with one another. Lord, we thank you that you've raised up men that are able to stand and proclaim your word with such clarity, Lord, and with transparency about the way that they are being developed. But you truly have given us a family that is better than the ones that we have left, that is better than anything we had in the world or the world had to offer. Lord, as we worship before you, Lord, we're asking that you might grant us the ability. Lord, to cease thinking about all of the things that we have to do, to cease thinking about all of the things that we may want from you. Lord, that you would give us a singleness of heart and of mind to glory in who you are and what you have done that we might behold the majesty of the king of the world who has stooped down to reach into our lives holy one we worship you say have your way among us this evening and let your mighty presence and all of its weight and all of its glory be made manifest among us